Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Today or especially over the weekend when you shop around for a, a new vehicle, Polaris, put that uh, in the back of your mind. Right, uh, this morning, what have we got? A uh, really busy show as we head through and we've got to focus on some golf, don't we? Tiger Woods one under. What an incredible first round for him. Uh, Robert Lusitich is coming to us uh, out uh, of Australia. He is a, a golf correspondent. Uh, he has uh, written a book about Tiger Woods called Unplayable, uh, and that was uh, way, way back uh, when Tiger was going through some more tempestuous times, I think it's fair to say. We'll talk to Robert Lusitich very shortly. Uh, after 9.30, we're going to talk uh, UFC with Stephen Foote, who's a combat sport uh, reporter for News Hub, and uh, there's some big fights coming up uh, this weekend to preview in UFC 273. Uh, after 10 o'clock, the Plunkett Shield has been won. The cricket still goes on, but the Plunkett Shield has been won uh, already by the Auckland Aces, and their stand-in coach has been Luke Ronke in the last month. Uh, we'll catch up with Luke, of course, former Black Cap. Um, and uh, as, uh, he's also, of course, got a role with the Black Caps, and uh, will he continue with that? We'll uh, answer those questions. Uh, with Luke Ronke, Mark Hinton and Sam Ackerman will be on the panel. Uh, and then at uh, four minutes past 11, roughly, Tom Samani, former Matildas and Football Ferns coach. Uh, there's a, a nice little doubleheader double over the weekend for the Matildas and the Ferns. Uh, first of all, it's in Townsville. Uh, then I think it moves to Canberra. But uh, we'll get in touch with Tom just to see what the prospects are. Remember, these two sides are hosting the Women's World Cup next year. So uh, really important uh, that we get a gauge on where they're both at. Uh, about 20 past 11, uh, we'll do our normal Friday Greyhound Racing interview, and this is with Wayne Steele this morning. Uh, he's a Waikato trainer. He's also uh, uh, on the board of Greyhound Racing New Zealand. Previously, he was president of the Waikato Greyhound Racing Club as well. We'll have a stump by Smithy as we head towards Staffy at midday. Yep, pretty busy, eh? Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, whilst the eyes of the sporting world are firmly focused on Augusta, yet another remarkable Tiger Woods comeback story is unfolding. Some New Zealand ones, at least, will be no doubt turning their focus to Forsyth Bar Stadium tonight around 7 o'clock. Super Rugby kicks off another weekend of action. Quite frankly, I don't know what round it is. So many catch-up games, it's quite higgledy-piggledy, really. But no matter, this is an interesting clash. The Highlanders and Moana Pacifica. Uh, last place, second last, if you look at the table, and that by a long way. In schoolyard terms, it's the battle of the last picks. Highlanders long have been perceived by many as that, and that is why they perennially punch above their weight, and that's part of the romance of their franchise. And we know for certain Aaron Major and co pretty much had the last pick this time around. 
By the time he got to formulate proceedings, proceedings were well and truly underway. We also know, though, that the clash won't lack for urgency or physicality or importance. It will be closer than most give it credit for. The one thing Moana Pacifica was initially going to struggle with was confidence in their ability to stay in the fight and to win. Well, that theory was total BS about two weeks ago, so look out. For the Highlanders, 1.06 favourites, believe it or not, winless for coming up to two months now, this looms as vitally crucial. This is the whole reason they coined the modern vernacular must win. They simply cannot lose. So, it might not be a box office delight, but it will probably have the ratings the size of a pimple on the proverbial of Tiger's catchment, but it will have me. It's what Super Rugby is all about. It's a good story. Shortly before I sit down to view the rugby, though, I shall give myself a seriously big series of uppercuts, for ever doubting that Tiger would be in the fight. He ain't walking all that well, but the rest of the package is as smooth as ever. What a weekend ahead. Well, it's 9.08 here on SENZ uh, New Zealand time. Uh, it's a, a little different across uh, to where we join our guest, Robert Lusatich, this morning. Now, Robert Lusatich is uh, probably uh, one of the most informed gentlemen on Tiger Woods. He wrote uh, an incredibly successful biography back in around 2009 called Unplayable, uh, was uh, coincided with a very turbulent year in Tiger Woods' life, and there have been many of those. Uh, but it's very appropriate that we can uh, talk to Robert, who's also a former Fox Sports golf correspondent, uh, about what's happening at Augusta and about the man himself, because uh, he's hot. Tiger Woods has hit the ground walking, limping a wee bit, but it's been impressive. Robert, good morning to you. G'day, mate. How are you, Smitty? Yeah, really cool, mate, and thanks so much for giving us some time this morning. Uh, look, you know this this guy. I mean, you've, you've, you've spent a lot of your life focusing on of what first of all what has been the attraction for you is it is it that obvious because it's tiger or why did you have you spent so much of your your life your, uh, in terms of, of studying this, this guy well i mean you know going back uh my, my first major that i covered was uh, for the australian newspaper and uh it was 1996 uh obviously a big year uh, and not a great year for greg norman but but uh, a good year if you were uh, a journalist writing about it because there's a lot to write about. But I vividly recall the uh, press conference before the tournament where Jack Nicholas said, I've just played with a young man and uh, with Arnold Palmer and a young man that I think is going to win more green jackets than Arnold and I combined. And that sort of got my interest. And I mean, since then, it just, you know, it, it, it was a little bit coincidental in that we were both, I was out there covering golf when I uh, went to Fox Sports. It became full-time. Um, and then I signed a deal with Simon & Schuster uh, to do a book because, in all honesty, uh, after I got to know Tiger a little bit, I actually found him much more interesting. Uh, but he liked to keep his public persona much more sanitized. And I'm not talking about the adultery and you know, think that 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 level of thing, but just you know, he had, he's got a wicked sense of humour, swears like a sailor, um, and I just thought he was a he was a, a more interesting guy than than uh, he wanted to let on. But more importantly, I suppose uh, the the you know it became clear very obvious, very obvious very soon that he was just 
I was witnessing something that was not just, you know, once in a generational talent, but but maybe more once in a century kind of a talent. And uh, and I think in a lot of ways he showed that again today. I mean, 71, he's three off the lead, hasn't played in, you know, over a year, almost broke his leg, almost died in, in, a, in a car accident. Uh, it's just astounding to see what he did today. Robert, there's been over the, the course of sporting history some seriously focused, determined, unique individuals. What makes Tiger Woods at the top of the, uh, of the, of the tree in that regard, uh, in your opinion? I think that, that he's changed. You know, he's matured, I think, in a lot of ways. In the beginning, he just was only focused on, on, uh, on golf. And, he, you know, he was just obsessed with it. And I think a lot of these guys, when you get them, when they're young and they're, they're that obsessed, they become, and, you know, if you've got the talent, obviously, and you've got the, the he had the mental capacity to be able to play golf because it's such a it's not like somebody's throwing a ball at you or someone's going to tackle you or you know Jonah Lomu's coming at you it's it's none of that it's it's, you you it's the discipline required is that that ball's not moving it's all up to you and uh and and obviously when you hit a bad shot in golf you know things you're not very happy he's he is always not happy when he hits a bad shot but what I what's amazing about him is his capacity to just let it go. When he gets to the ball, he starts thinking about how he's going to hit the next one and how he's going to save a shot. Uh, and there was a great moment today. In fact, one of my favorite moments uh, was when um, he was in the pine straws on the ninth hole and actually had quite a good little creative punch shot. And it ran up to the front of that green. That green slopes heavily right uh, back to front. And then it started trickling down and went went off the green. And he uh, just let out the, the, the biggest F-bomb, you know. And uh, again, I, I just, I, I like that because it's a humanity. It's the humanity that he used to try and sort of keep, uh, keep sort of bundled up. He didn't want people to see. But it's human. It's a human response. And if you've played golf, you've probably uttered that word, I, I dare say. Um, uh, because uh, something goes bad, you're not happy. Um, so I just I think that he's di- he's a different person. Obviously, he's got a couple of kids. He's not as obsessive as he used to be. However, I think that he looks at you know he's not going to be as motivated now you know to go and play at uh, a regular PGA Tour stop event. But the majors and especially this one, it's got a lot of uh, meaning to him. Uh, I think that he's going to try and and ramp up his game as best he can at the at his age. I mean, you know, he he would be the the uh, you know the, he's already the second oldest guy to win one, um, and and now he's vying to with Jack Nicholas to to win it at 46. So there's a lot of history. Uh, I think he he really understands the history. He appreciates it. And bottom line, he loves golf. You know, he just loves it. And uh, mm. You know, maybe not to the degree that he did when he was a kid, but you know, we all grow up, we get married, we have kids, we have other things that we we like as we as we get older in life. Um, but uh, but he's still got that ability to bring not just the physical game, but the, the mental game that was required. 
Robert, it sounds like you're not surprised that he's uh, almost one. Well, he is one under uh, after the first round. You, you really don't seem that surprised that he's actually teeing it up here uh, at Augusta this time around when the whole world was sort of on tender hooks waiting for him to make that decision. Uh, we're talking sponsors here. We're particularly talking about television companies uh, with their ratings, etc. But for you, uh, not perhaps such a great surprise knowing the guy as well as you do? No, no, it was a great surprise. I mean, I didn't think he was going to play, you know, even a week ago, uh, I didn't think he'd play. But when he went up there last week and played 27 holes, well, you know, my, my most of most of my decision was based on the fact that I just didn't know if he could walk for, for four days. So it's a very hilly course, far hillier than it seems on TV. So it's, it's a tough walk, especially when it gets cold and wet. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know that he that he had the, the the ability to do that because he, you know, as he always does, he keeps his cards very close to his chest. Um, but uh, once he said he was playing, I saw he was playing twenty seven, and then when I saw that they put him on the interview schedule this week, well, I mean, he, he was he's not, you know, he doesn't love the media <laughs> that much that he's going to show up on a Tuesday and do a press conference just just to do it. So. I thought for sure he he thinks he can play. And as we saw today, a lot of adrenaline. I'm sure he's going to be icing that that foot quite a bit tonight. But um, And maybe the adrenaline just helps you push through things. But, you know, to me, he looked fine. He didn't, he didn't, he had a few moments where it looked like he was a bit ginger. But overall, I thought he walked quite well and he hit the ball very well. Um, in fact, mm. in, in all honesty, I mean, he he basically fluffed two pretty straightforward chips uh, that uh, if if he'd have just gotten up and down, now suddenly we're looking at 69 and he's he's one off the pace. I mean, it, it, he really was that close. One of the other stories uh, about um, people at the Masters this year, uh, Robert, is the fact that someone isn't there after about 30 years and. And that, of course, is uh, Tiger's great rival, as it's perceived around the world, and Phil Mickelson. Uh, Tiger's headlines and that are, are going to detract from Phil's absence by a long shot, it would seem. But uh, what about Phil Mickelson? Um, you know, I would imagine you know a little bit about him as well and his ability to perhaps come back from where he's at at the moment. Well, it's, I think they're very different. This is more... Phil's in a place that's a, that is more... You know, it's, it's more similar... Or easier to sort of liken to uh, to Tiger's scandal period. Uh, I think uh, there's a book coming out. It's probably going to have some unflattering things to say about Phil. I think if you've got Steve Williams, the uh, my great mate, the Kiwi Caddy, uh, on on your show, he would uh, he would probably struggle to find good things to say about Phil Mickelson um, because a lot of a lot of players have, over the years have felt that Phil's maintained a public image and then there's a there's a, a private one that doesn't always uh, gel with the public one and I think that uh, Phil is now in a place where he's going to have to confront some of these demons and uh, I, I believe that he's doing that DeChambeau said the other day that he's gone dark uh, he's not res- not responding to text messages not responding to phone calls and that's essentially what happened with Tiger when the scandal hit uh, and uh, indeed, I was uh, I was writing a book that I thought was about something else, and then I had to work that in there. So at that time, so it was a 
it was quite a tumultuous period, and Phil's going through one now. You've got to remember he's 51, soon to be 52. I don't know that he's really got that much left in him competitively. Uh, it, obviously, a huge, huge win last year to win the PGA, uh, to win a major at 51, oldest man ever to do it. But I think that was very much lightning in a bottle. And uh, I think Phil's got other things that he needs to take care of now. And I'd, I'd say most of them are uh, on a personal level. So we'll see We'll see what happens with Phil Mickelson. I, I'm, I'm not surprised that he did not come uh, to the Masters because I, I, I think he's aware, you know, he, he can read the room well enough to know they don't really appreciate distractions at the Masters. They want the tournament to be, you know, the, 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 the star of the show and the golf course. So uh, he did the right thing by staying away. Robert, uh, your favourite experience or favourite story coming out of the Masters and the time that you've, you've covered it? Oh, man, there's a lot of them, mate. There's a lot of them. Uh, I mean, I look, on a personal level, um, I've always been... Uh, you know, I first met Adam Scott when he was about 18. Um, you know, he, he's a great kid. Uh, turned into a into a great bloke. And uh, I was very, very happy for him uh, to, to have been the first Aussie to win one. Uh, Steve Williams on his bag. Steve, Stevie's a mate of mine. And I, I, it was that was a very uh, special time for me personally. There have been other great stories, obviously, over the years. But uh, that one resonated with, with me the most... Uh, and if you if you remember the the uh, the British Open the year before at Lytham, uh, Scotty was uh, bogeyed the last four holes to lose to Ernie Els by one, and I mean it was heartbreaking stuff. Uh, so, you know, for me that was probably the the big one. But I, you know, right up there with that was 2019 Tiger winning in 2019. But, I mean, you just couldn't you just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I really didn't think. He had any majors left in him, um, and the way he did it, very methodically, uh, very just, uh, he, he was able to detach himself from the heat of the moment, and, uh, you know, he's very, very good at that, but I didn't know that he had the, the mental sort of strength that he used to have, because the scandal really took a lot out of him, so that was a, that to me was a, one of the, one of the great, uh, great moments, and I, I'll also never forget, I, you know, I was standing out by the 18th green uh, as he putted out. And I mean, it was, it was, that place is very, it's very reverential. You know, they're very enthusiastic, the fans, and they clap. And, but this was like a football crowd. They were, they were chanting his name. Uh, and, and, I mean, it was wild. It was absolutely wild. So I'd say those two. Okay. Uh, well, you mentioned that Australian and New Zealand connection there. Uh, and uh, with, with Adam Scott, Steve Williams, there's another one at the top of the leaderboard as we speak, Cameron Smith and Sam Pinfold, who's a Kiwi caddy uh, as well. So a bit of romance there and a possibility. Cam Smith playing the right kind of golf, having won the players, that he's a real chance. Uh, who would, at the, as you look at it at this point, without counting Tiger out, we can't. Uh, you can't win it on the first day, you can lose it, but uh, who are you looking at form-wise? Well, I, I picked Cam Smith... Uh to, to win it um, and if you look at what he did I'll tell you the thing that struck me is uh, he didn't show up at all yesterday and, and for on Wednesday he didn't play the uh, part three or practice uh, 
and I thought to myself, that's the sign of a bloke who thinks he's ready to go. And then he comes out and makes double bogey on the first hole. And I thought, well, that's uh, that's not good. Uh, and then proceeds to make uh, uh, eight bogeys, eight uh, eight birdies in, in, in the next uh, 17 holes, then finishes with a double. So it was a 68 that uh, I think I, I read somewhere hasn't been done in something like you know, 25 years, somebody having a, uh, a double and leading the tournament. So that, that to me tells me all the, I mean, eight birdies, that's something. And he's that kind of a player. He's very explosive. He sees the pin and he's aggressive. He goes after it. So I liked him. Um, you know, Dustin Johnson is, is his game. I mean, he's currently four under par through, uh, and he's still got two par fives to go. So he may well be leading. By the end of the day, he's he's hard to say no to because he's just got such power, and he's won there, so he'll feel good. But um, the other guy that I think uh, you can't discount is Scotty Scheffler. I know he's only 25, but he's an old 25. He seems to have a, a sort of a wiser head on his shoulder shoulders. He's got Bubba Watson's old caddy on his bag, and and oh by the way, um, won three times in the last you know five weeks and and, and uh, became the world number one player uh, last week. So, you know, he's, he is uh, right now, uh, he's on a heater, as they say over here. So uh, I, I'd, I'd look for him to be involved at the end. Robert, it's been fascinating talking to you. I'm jealous of you because you, you, you've got up alongside perhaps the highest profile sportsman the world will ever see. But, uh, and you know him. So, I mean, I'm jealous, but I'm, I'm absolutely uh, thrilled you it's, uh, allocated some time for us, mate, at this time of the year. Thank you so much uh, for your insight. You got it, mate. Uh, already, people, yep. already people will be punting. So uh, thanks very much, mate. Enjoy the rest of the Masters. We will be. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Robert Lucetich there. Uh, uh, he's uh, out of California as we speak uh, with a close eye on the Masters, of course, and uh, getting that close to Tiger and finding out so much about him. Absolutely fascinating. We went a little bit longer than usual. I just found it gripping. So 9.25 here. We'll have some ads, then the news, and then we'll come back with some UFC. Barris Dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Coming up to news time uh, with Aroa very shortly. Just uh, a chance to say to you, uh, 8833 is our text number. 0800 150 is the phone number. Uh, what have you made of Tiger's performance so far? It's quite frankly astonishing from, as far as I'm concerned with what a lead up he's had. And what are you going to watch over the weekend? What is uh, really your focus in terms of sport watching over the weekend? 9.30, here's Ottawa with the news. When you are, mate. Nine thirty-two here on SENZ, and it's a, a big weekend of pugilism. UFC two seventy-three Sunday afternoon New Zealand time. So uh, let's uh, join Stephen Foote, who was uh, the combat sport reporter for News Hub, uh, just to get uh, a little bit more familiar with what's going on. Uh, Stephen, good morning to you. Uh, and I guess the the draw card fight involves uh, Alexander Volkanovsky who uh, set the world alight, we, uh, what, it was about a month ago, uh, with that win, which uh, surprised a few people. Yeah, yeah, morning to me, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, absolutely, it was a fantastic win. He, he sort of pulled it out of nowhere, it looked like Brian Ortega had a, had a really deep choke sunk, sunk in there, but the Aussie battled through, defended his belt for the second time, and 
Now he's looking to make it three in a row against uh, Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, in the main event on Sunday. Um, yeah, bit of a bit of an Aussie uh, New Zealand flavour to this one. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, he uh, spends a lot of his time training out of Auckland City Kickboxing, which is of course home to all of the the best New Zealand fighters. Um, Israel Adesanya, Dan Hooker, Kai Kata France, you name it. Um, so he spends a bit of time there. Hasn't spent as much time there for this camp, um, but I do know that Eugene Behrman, who is the head honcho there at City Kickboxing, is on his way over to Florida. So you'll see him on the corner there on Sunday, as, as you will Brad Riddell, another Kiwi UFC fighter who is a longtime friend and, and has been helping Alex prepare for this one. So yeah, there's always been a great camaraderie between the Anzac fighters, the New Zealand and the, and the Aussie fighters always back one another and um, I think Alexander's in for a pretty, uh, relatively easy time. I mean, just, just he, he was meant to be fighting Max Holloway for for a third occasion. Uh, they, he's won the first two fights against Holloway. Holloway had to pull out because of injury. So he's got Korean Korean Zombie come in, who's always a crowd pleaser, brings the fight no matter what. So you're going to get some entertainment there. But I think as the odds reflect, it's going to be a pretty straightforward victory for for Volkanovski, who is sort of fast becoming one of the best featherweights the UFC has ever seen. He's on, he's on a 20-fight undefeated win streak, um, and 10 of those coming in the UFC. Um, he's got a little bit further to go to catch a guy like Jose Aldo, but um, big things ahead for Alexander the Great, that's for sure. And I think we'll see him take another step towards that sort of mantle on, on Sunday. Where will he dominate the, the zombie then? Where, where do you, where, all over the place? Or where's this particular strength, you think? Yeah, Alexander is one of these guys who isn't particularly elite at any one skill, but what he is is just exceptional in every facet of mixed martial arts. He's one of the most well-rounded fighters in the UFC. He's probably a little bit better than Chan Sung Jung in almost every aspect, perhaps save for some of the striking. Uh, the Korean Zombie hasn't always put a premium on defense, um, which is probably why we're seeing him in so many uh, entertaining fights. Um, but I think what we'll see is Alexander Volkanovsky use his speed, athleticism, and what he also has is a really elite fight IQ. He always has a fantastic game plan, and a lot of that does actually come back to the guys at City Kickboxing, Eugene Behrman, who help him put those those game plans together for uh, whoever they happen to be sharing the octagon with. And I think it's going to be a relatively straightforward night there for, for Alexander on Sunday. There's an interesting fight for the bantamweight title because uh, Peter Yan... Uh, will uh, will defend against Sterling. Of course, Sterling uh, won the title uh, against Yan. Sorry, Yan, Yan's challenging back for it after Yan was uh, disqualified for kneeing Sterling uh, in the head while grounded. So uh, Yan's a pretty big favourite for this one. He is a big favourite. Yeah, yeah, and you can, and you can see why he was really starting to come along in the, uh, on the original fight there before the illegal knee. And there's some genuine bad blood between those guys. And I, I know it doesn't sit well with a lot of fight fans who think that. You know, Sterling maybe had milked the illegal knee a little bit, left a, a bit of a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. That that was the method by which he managed to raise to win the USC, um, the bantamweight title. So I think what we'll see is Piotr Yan come in with a lot of intent. He has a huge striking advantage over over Aljamain Sterling. He's one of these guys who spent a lot of time in, in Thailand, the famous uh, Tiger Muay Thai camp, where a lot of the key guys have trained, trained alongside Brad Riddell and Kaikata France there. Um, and he's just—he's absolutely superb on the feet. One of the some of the best boxing uh, you'll you'll see across the UFC. And he'll, he's got a point to prove on Sunday. And I think those long odds are there for a reason. Sterling—he'll have the grappling advantage, no doubt about it, against Jan. But 
Um, I, I can't see him hanging in there. Jan looks superb against Corey Sanhagen towards the end of last year. That was meant to be a fight against Ajamay Sterling, a rematch against Ajamay Sterling. Sterling had some issues with his neck, had to withdraw. But we'll come back again on Sunday, and I, I think we'll see a pretty emphatic victory for, for Piotr Jan. What else excites you about uh, the card on UFC 273? Sunday afternoon, New Zealand time, folks. It's live out of Jacksonville, Florida. What, el- what else is uh, appealing for you? Oh, so the, 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 the real juicy one for me this weekend is the return of Hamza Shemeyev, a, a, a Russian-born Swedish fighter who has been an absolute phenomenon in the UFC since he, he joined. He's only had four fights, but three of, those, three of those wins have come in the first round. I think it's the fastest start um, to a three-match win streak in UFC history. Um, he's just an absolute beast across the board, a former sort of Swedish uh, national wrestling champion and just a real bevy in arsenal strikes and, and a ton of power. Um, and it's an interesting one. He, he'll, he'll be fighting uh, Gilbert Burns, who, Brazilian guy, looks like he could be a good foil for a guy like Shemayev, a real good test to see, a bit of a litmus test, really, to see, I guess, where he stands in the division. If he can get a win over Burns, though, who's a really hard-nosed grappler, a lot of power in his shots, former world champion jiu-jitsu uh, practitioner, who is absolutely no joke. Uh, this is a guy who is only sort of a few months removed from, from a title shot himself. Um, funnily enough, actually lost to Dan Hooker, um, which sparked his um, decision to move up to, to welterweight, where he's had a real career renaissance there. Uh, but coming up against a guy like Shemeyev, um, yeah, what I'm interested to see is how much Shemeyev has improved. He's looked, fantastic. He's looked even better going from fight to fight to fight. And there's also a little bit of um, intrigue here for Kiwi fight fans because Shemeyev, he hasn't really committed to the welterweight division. And he has spoken a lot about his intention or his desire to fight a guy like Israel Adesanya, which is just a mouthwatering matchup for a whole bunch of reasons. And given the landscape at middleweight at the moment, you know, Israel's sort of fast cleaning out that division. He doesn't have a whole lot of genuine contenders there. He's, he'll probably scrape up a match against Jared Cannonier, perhaps in July. But even there, after that, which I think will be pretty straightforward for him, there's, there's not a whole lot of um, sort of rising challenges, I guess, knocking on the door there. And Shemeyev just may fit that bill. He's, he's spoken about it this week, about his desire to fight him. Israel sort of acknowledged that and said, feel, and very, really justifiably saying, hey, I need to see a little bit more from him. It looked like a beast at welterweight, but let's just see a little bit more at middleweight, despite the fact that he has actually had a couple of wins at middleweight. So, um, so if he can get an emphatic win against Burns this weekend, who is, as I said, absolutely no joke and a real sort of barometer test for him, if he can get an impressive win there, um, I think he'll put himself in the running to have, to have the uh, not the next shot at the welterweight title, because we'll see, uh, I think we've got Leon Edwards, he'll be fighting the champion, Kamaru Usman, um, to, Next, and then coming off the back of that, you may see Shemeyev, or we may see Shemeyev choose to make that switch to the middleweight division and sort of put together what would be one of the most intriguing matchups and a, and a real big money fight against uh, Israel Adesanya. So that's probably one to keep an eye on as well for all you Kiwi Fight fans. Speaking of Kiwi Fight fans, what about Kiwis coming up, Stephen? Kiwi's coming up there, yeah. No, no one's really have got any fights locked in at the moment, unfortunately. As I said, we've got Israel, he's probably looking. Um, he's hinted at sort of July, August. Um, it looks like it will be a match against a fight against Jared Cannonier. Um, Kaikata France, um, obviously he's put himself right there in the mix um, at flyweight. Um, that's also being mooted for July, but the, the big question there is whether or not that's going to be an immediate fight 
with Davison Figueiredo, or we're going to have to wait a little while for Figueiredo to defend his title again in a fourth fight against Brandon Moreno. Um, that's what we've got really on the, on, the, on the horizon at the moment. Brad Riddell doesn't have a fight, fight booked. There's a couple of guys waiting in the wings there with plenty of intriguing matchups for him at lightweight. Um, yeah, but, but, but on the whole, I think, I think at the moment it's all about Kai Kata France and exactly where we go next with, um, with Israel Adesanya. Dan Hooker looks like he will probably stay down at, stay down at featherweight for his next fight. Um, but obviously he's coming off a pretty emphatic loss, so he'll need a bit of time to, um, pull things together and sort of see where he wants to go next and what the future holds for him. But, um, yeah, I think the later half of this year, we'll, we'll see plenty of Kiwis back in action. Perhaps even a, a return of the UFC to these shores, uh, perhaps not these shores, rather, to the Australasian region. I know Dana White has hinted um, at, his, um, at his eagerness to get back to Australia. There's obviously so many great Aussie and Kiwi fighters at the moment. It seems criminal that we haven't had a fight for so long. Kai Kata France just told me a couple of weeks ago that he's desperate to try to get that fight back to New Zealand. Unfortunately, I think it's the more likely scenario is that it's going to come to Australia, um, given they know they can sell out Marvel Stadium with 57,000 people. But, hey, something to look forward to, at least, for, for all you guys out there. Well, you mentioned Dana White, um, and uh, I, this is a question that uh, it's just come to me, actually, because you keep mentioning so many Russian names in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what the stance is on the world at the moment. People are looking at banning Russian tennis players from Wimbledon. People are looking mm. at banning Russians from all sorts of competition, yet Russians seem to be very much a part of, of uh, the plan in terms of Dana White and his program. Any mention of that within UFC? Yeah, I know. I think Dana has sort of palmed off a couple of questions about it. It's, it's, it's a little bit different to, I guess, the team sport scenario. Um, you know, professional fighting is, is very much sort of uh, you're on your own. You're not necessarily tied to any overarching body. Um, yeah, it is a tricky one, Smithy, and, and those questions have been asked. Alexander Volkov, um, he had a main event in a USC fight night coming up just after the, the invasion began, and I, I know he was able to continue. But, yeah, in, the, in recent weeks, actually, Kai Kata France, he obviously fought um, Askar Askarov, who's a Russian fighter, and he actually came to the ring, took off his, his warm-up stuff, and had a, had, a, had a T-shirt with Vladimir Putin on it which obviously didn't go down well and ensured that, that Kai Kata France was a very heavy sort of crowd favourite for that fight. But as to where they go, with it, I, don't, I don't think we'll see any sort of sanctions on fighters, put it that way, Smithy. Okay, interesting, Stephen. Hey, great to catch up with you and uh, tap your knowledge on uh, what's coming up this weekend. Uh, look forward to talking to you again shortly. Thanks. Hey, always good to chat, chat MMA with you, Smithy. I know you love it. You enjoy the fights on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, I will do. UFC 273, Sunday afternoon, live from Jacksonville, Florida. And that was Stephen Foote, the combat sport reporter uh, for News Hub. Uh, our text number is 8833. What have you made of Tiger Woods' performance so far? Are you surprised? Are you staggered? Um, just uh, one under after the first round. Incredible determination on his face as he walked up the 18th. It really is uh, an amazing performance in terms of a comeback when you consider how tough this golf course is physically and in terms of golfing skills as it is. So amazing just to hear that he's uh, there. I don't think he'd make the cut if he's odds on to make it now, to be fair. 0800 150 811 is our phone number. The other thing, uh, our sporting weekend, I guess, begins uh, tonight at Forsyth, Forsyth Bar Stadium. What matchups are you looking forward to over the weekend? There's plenty of them in all the codes. 9.45 here on SENZ. 
shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.50 here on SENZ as well. I can give you a Masters update. Uh, Cameron Smith, uh, we talked about him before. Uh, he is uh, still uh, top the leaderboard with uh, Sunjay M and Dustin Johnson. They're uh, four under. Johnson has still got uh, six holes to play. Fair chance that he might get to five under with the par fives he's got uh, coming up in front of him. Danny Willett just behind them uh, at three under with Joachim Neiman, Scotty Scheffler, Will Zillatoris. Uh, and then you've got a whole host of players at two under, most of whom are still out on the golf course. So plenty of action still to come in round one. And <clears throat> in terms of uh, what you want this uh, to watch this weekend, you've got the, the Highlanders, Moana Pacifica. Uh, that is at 7 o'clock tonight or 7.05. Force against the Rebels. Have, uh, how much interest you got in what's going on in Australia anyway? But there's a beauty tomorrow afternoon. Double header, in fact. Uh, Hurricanes Crusaders out of Wellington at 4.35. The Chiefs, the Blues at 7.05. So that's um, a compulsive... Uh, rugby watching four hours really I suppose it is the way the games drag out these days and uh, Fiji and Drua are playing Brumbies at 9.45 tomorrow night out of Australia uh, and on Tuesday of course there's a catch up game for Moana Pacifica and that against the Hurricanes uh, that's Tuesday night at five minutes past seven so plenty to wet your whistle what are you looking forward to over the weekend what about the Warriors can they make it three in a row can they make it three in a row against the North Queensland Cowboys? Uh, you, have you got that on your agenda? It is at 9.51 here on SENZ. The voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is at 9.56 here on SENZ and it's a multi-time here uh, for the weekend. So, uh, look, yesterday uh, Barcelona and Frankfurt drew so uh, Barcelona didn't get up and win that, and I've got Tiger to miss the cut, so I'm not looking too good on yesterday's one. I'm going to leave that one out, uh, Tiger, now. He's, uh, he's confounded me uh, as well as most. So uh, we'll look at this one for the weekend, and uh, <coughs> it starts with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, I believe, beating the Celtics this afternoon at a buck twenty-eight. Uh, the Warriors uh, to beat the Cowboys tonight at $1.79. I've got full confidence they're going to go three from three. Haven't got much confidence, <coughs> unfortunately, in the Phoenix, though. So I've got West United to beat them at a buck sixty-two, and uh, just for uh, producer of the day, Ricardo Ball, I've got to Manchester United uh, to beat Everton over the weekend at a buck seventy-two. So that return for the weekend is six dollars thirty-eight. Six dollars thirty-eight. So it's the Bucks into the Warriors into Western United into Manchester United. Uh, and Ricardo, uh, first time I've had a uh, chance to speak to you this morning. Uh, great that you're with us this morning, mate. Um, and you've got uh, a possibility of some rugby tickets there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, but the uh, Hurricanes have sent me some double passes for the Crusaders uh, on tomorrow, of course, tomorrow afternoon, and for Moana Pacifica uh, on Tuesday. Uh, we were supposed to do these with Hurricane Valley with Norm Hewitt that I host on uh, Wednesday nights from 7 to 7.30, but they didn't come through in time for us to do the giveaway. So I have them uh, there digitally, digitally. Uh, uh, offered. So if you want to um, grab a double pass, uh, just flick us a text on the Temper Bedpost uh, text machine double eight double three with your name and your email address, and I'll uh, email you a double pass to the the Crusaders tomorrow or Moana Pacifica on uh, on Tuesday night. Okay, so that's a great opportunity to go to uh, either or both of those rugby games at the stadium. Uh, also, uh, I just got a part of my multi the Western United to beat uh, the Phoenix. So, uh, it's a 
it's a, a head thing over a heart thing. I dearly would love to be in a position to back the Phoenix, but I, I can't with confidence at the moment, mate. No, I don't blame you. Um, based, on, based on what we've seen the last couple of games, I, I just think the Phoenix have played too many games in too, in too short a period of time, over too long a time, if you like, and it's not getting any easier. Like They're, they're playing every three or four days for the rest of the season, uh, and they've lost Alex Rufer, they've lost Clayton Lewis. I doubt that we'll see Clayton back. I know he's got ankle ligament injury, and he's back in New Zealand, which would suggest he's not coming back anytime soon. Uh, and that is the midfield, the fulcrum of the midfield. So they're having to play a guy like Sam Sutton, who's a left back at, in midfield, to, to, to fill the spaces, and I think they're just tired. Yeah, I think they're a bit tired as well. Uh, and I think they can't wait to get home. And the, the news is that some stage they will be able to do that. Uh, a text has just come in. No wonder Alexander the Great is owning the featherweight division. He used to play front row in rugby league. That's like <laughs> someone such as Paul Gallen dropping down to featherweight and destroying everyone. Alex is used to chopping guys weighing 120 kegs in half. Interesting. Yeah, it's okay. a great text. Uh, keep those, yeah, great text. Keep them coming in, please. Uh, it is uh, coming up to 10 o'clock here on SENZ in the mornings in association with our great mates Polaris and time for the news with Ottawa. Vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.02 and we're going to kick off this hour with uh, some cricket and domestic cricket really because uh, the exciting news for the Auckland Aces uh, over the last, in fact, on day one when they managed to secure a bonus point is that they uh, confirmed that they had won uh, the Plunkett Shield for this season, which is uh, still, for me, one of the most coveted trophies uh, in New Zealand sport. So exciting times for the Auckland Aces and for Luke Ronke, who has been uh, coaching them in the, the last month or so. Uh, he's uh, got a, a lot of hats on in terms of cricket at the moment. Luke Ronke, thanks very much for joining us, mate. Morning, Smitty. How are you, mate? Yeah, you're in Napier, of course, because, what, you're heading into day four of the Aces against the Stags, and it looks like, uh, well, for Tom Bruce in particular, it's been a bit of a run fest. Uh, yeah, it is day four today, and it's a nice day for it, which is really good. And, yeah, Bruce has been, not just this game, but the last few games, he's been, been phenomenal to, to knock off a couple of double hundreds in a row. It's, it's never been done in the Plunkett Shield, so he's batting, batting beautifully. Okay, I'll come back to you a little bit uh, later on about uh, the depth and, and the form of New Zealand batters, Luke, because uh, you are, of course, also the, uh, the batting coach for the Black Caps, so we can't forget that. Um, but at least tell us, uh, tell us about this story. This is a good one for the Aces. Uh, you took over from uh, Heinrich Milan. Uh, there was a crossover period, uh, and uh, they've gone on and won. Uh, just tell us the significance of the guys for winning the Plunkett Shield these days. Well, like you said before, it is, it's the, the most coveted, sort of uh, campaign or, or competition to play in, and everyone wants to win the Plunkett Shield in the first-class cricket. So the guys have been playing some, some phenomenal cricket to, to so far not lose a game this year. Um, and it's actually been going for a little while now. They're saying that their, their record of unbeaten runs at this is, is going, um, going back a little while. We see a few draws on there. But the cricket the guys have been playing has been phenomenal. They've been having a lot of fun doing it, um, competing really hard and, and sort of when needed to, scoring runs on, on good surfaces and sort of bowl teams out. There's been a few guys come out of the sort of club cricket that sort of weren't known and, and they've been performing beautifully as well. So it's been an exciting wee period for Auckland cricket, definitely. Well, it's a fate of complete that you're without your black caps most of the time uh, these days, Luke, because you, of all people, know uh, the commitment of international cricket and the priority of international cricket, uh, not just uh, here but at the IPL, etc. So... 
uh, you do unfold new names, and I guess that's uh, one of the exciting things about it, and certainly that has been the case for Auckland this year. Tell us about some of the young talent that uh, you have found. Um, well, that is the thing. That, that's the exciting thing. I think when the, the, the Black Cat boys are away from domestic cricket, you do get these young guys coming through that, that pull performances out, which have been been brilliant. Obviously, Robbie O'Donnell's been around a while, but he's been turning out some, some good runs for the team, and and obviously as captain, it's always nice to leave from the front. And there's a young guy called Simon Keane who's sort of burst onto the scene in, in four-day cricket. And, and just coming in and enjoy. He's playing with a smile on his face no matter what the situation. And, and the wickets just seem to be sort of stacking up next to his name. So he's been absolutely uh, phenomenal in, in helping the team get these wins. So another bowler for us has been Ben Lister, who's been around a while a little as well, but he's just growing, going from strength to strength. So watching him come in and, and sort of perform and I guess putting his name up up there as well for, for Gary Stead and, and Gav Larson to, to know that there's there's extra bowlers around and extra players around that can, can push for higher honours. What about the depth of spin bowling as you've travelled around the country? Luke, can you tell us a wee bit about um, where, you, where you see that at for us? Because whilst uh, when we play at home our, our pitches tend to favour the quicker bowlers and that's out of preference, we can't afford to, uh, to ignore the fact that we need those guys when we travel. Uh, exactly, and that, that is a massive. Obviously, AJ's Patel's been phenomenal when we've played away from home. Uh, surfaces at home don't really dictate that we need to play spin, so that's the unfortunate thing for spinners around the country. But at the moment, every team we come up against have always got a quality spinner. Um, for here, we've always got Will Somerville and Louis Delport have been bowling beautifully. We've also got a young Addy Ashok, and the white ball stuff was, was phenomenal. And he, he probably would have played some of these four-day games if it wasn't for a broken finger in the four trophy final. So, uh, and then you go against other teams, you can just see there is a good depth of spin bowling. Um, I still, I think it'd be pretty cool to see some surfaces around the country um, domestically um, help out th- those those bowlers and, and, and have a little bit more sort of turn in them. And that also, I think, from a, a batting coach point of view, helps the players get better at playing spin as well. But there is a good depth of, of spin bowling around the country. You're happy with uh, the overall depth of domestic New Zealand cricket because I, I look at the scoreboards and I, you know, I, I've, I find it very hard to recognise a lot of names because it seems to me this season of all season there seems to be a, a real influx of new talent. Yeah, that is the case. Obviously, COVID's had a massive part to play in that. So there's guys that more than likely wouldn't have played, have played, and have actually performed. So I think that's the cool thing about it. you. Sort of look around the place and. I think for ND this game, I think they had something like seven deputants or something, which, I mean, that's never going to happen normally. So um, it's cool for those guys to get a game. And then to show their talent, it's always the way that it happens. We've got a young guy, Phil um, Flynn McGregor Sumter, playing his first game here, and he's just churned out club runs. And he's come out and on a on a green surface batted really well to make a, a 50 on the push. So guys are, are pushing and, and getting the opportunity to play, which is obviously a, a good thing. And um, it, I guess it just adds to the depth of, of what we've got already. And the interesting thing about the Auckland season, and I, I'm not sure if this is uh, anything to do with the overall result that you've won the Plunkett Shield, is you had to cram a lot of cricket because uh, it was, I think it's fair to say you missed out on the early stages, so you've had some serious catching up to do, and when you've been back involved, it's been constant. It has. The guys have like, done a phenomenal job to to play the games in succession that they've played. I mean, for this last little period of, of Plunkett Shield, we've got six games and near enough to six weeks or six and a half weeks. So we've had a couple of days off between between matches. It's just go, go, go. So 
Um, there's been a few guys play every game, and they've done really well to, to keep their bodies going and, and minds and, and still perform. So um, the whole season's been like that for them at the moment. And from, I guess, the last few games of the full training, the guys have been playing brilliantly and, and winning games of cricket and enjoying their cricket. So that's a, a major plus. Luke, obviously you um, have, uh, whilst you've been travelling around with Auckland, you've been watching cricket going on uh, around the world and particularly at home as well. Uh, just a mixed season, I think. We have, we've had a bit of a report card during the week on, on the, the Black Cap season, losing a couple of tests at home, particularly to Bangladesh. Not so good. Um, how, do you, how do you sort of feel about the season as a whole from a coaching perspective? Yeah, I mean, it is that. I mean, you don't want to be losing games at home. Um, the unfortunate thing is it is cricket. You're gonna, that's going to happen at times. But like you said, we sort of want to be, um, in test matches especially, sort of going out there and dominating at home and getting those wins to help with the, the test championship and things like that. But I think we've sort of seen some other guys come through. And obviously, um, Ross Taylor retiring is, is a massive thing. And it's obviously been, from my point of view, amazing to be a part of, a part of his career. Um, and to see him, and also the way he finished off a wicket with his last, like the last ball, we would have thought, and then a catch the other night to finish it off. But then also you see a real young come into that position, or around there, and he shows his skill as well. So um, there are certainly there's a whole lot of pluses, and I'm I'm very much on uh, looking at the positives more than anything else. I always like to see the good stuff and try and smile as much as possible around that sort of stuff. So you're very very happy and very comfortable that our our batting is is uh, in a good space. Yeah, we're definitely I certainly um comfortable with where we're at and, and what we've got going forward. I think um obviously the India tour shows a bit of um I guess the work we need to do in playing spin in, in different conditions. Um but the way we play at home, we know our surfaces at home and and we just want to add the the extras of when we go away. So it's still going to be an exciting winter ahead uh, with what we've got and then obviously next summer it's going to be chock a block full of cricket so it's I think it's exciting sort of uh, an exciting future for the Black Caps. You get an Australian background when it comes to cricket and particularly when it comes to batting and traditionally when it comes to playing spin Australian batsmen tend to go after spinners they like to come at them we don't we tend to sit at home a wee bit more is that something uh, we have to coach into our game to be a little bit more proactive against spin? Very much so. I mean, and that's what we're trying to do with the guys um, before going into in, in India and just in general. I think traditionally in New Zealand, when we sort of say uh, playing spin, it's like use your feet so people want to run down the wicket and then they want to sweep, and that's about it. So it's trying to change the mentality that right, we can play off the back foot. You can get singles. You can be more proactive in how you're trying to rotate strike and things like that. Sort of not going the old school sort of block bash type mentality. So. Um, and if you, if you watch uh, subcontinent players against spin, they are a lot more proactive and a lot more aggressive. And, and our guys watching that and playing against that and hopefully using some of that um, in their own games can certainly excel our, our playing of spin in the future. So what's on the programme now for Luke Ronke? Uh Finish this game, and then we're down to, to Christchurch next week for one more Punket Shield game. Uh, obviously receive the, the shield while we're down there, which is going to be going to be brilliant for everyone. Um, then a little bit of time off, and then we're in preparation for England. So we've got some tests, and we've got a bit of a Europe tour, some white ball stuff, Caribbean. Uh, so it's a really it's a really full on winter, and then summer as well with World Cups and things like that. So um, there's a lot of prep and work with with the guys around the around the country, and making sure everyone's ready to go for some Test match cricket in. 
uh, in June. So it's exciting, and I, I love doing yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be really exciting. And cricket in June means cricket in England means cricket with Duke balls. So I, I guess you can't wait to get yeah. in the nets with some of those. <laughs> it's always good fun throwing and flicking with those. You make the bats look a bit silly at times, but the guys love it. They work their butts off to, to make sure they're prepared well enough. And then uh, when you get to England, you have your games, and then we're lucky enough to play the first test at Lord. so that's always an experience for people who haven't been. So, as you know, it's an amazing place to play cricket. As we go there, Luke, uh, I've got to say, a lot of people saying we're favourites, more so for the fact that uh, how bad England are at the moment. I'm not quite sure I read it that, that cleanly, actually. I've, I've been to England, I've seen England play at home. I think they're a slightly different kettle of fish than when they're away, even when they appear to be in a bit of a mess. So do you look at that series with us going there uh, as favourites or, or what? Have we ever gone anywhere saying we're the favourites, Smithy? We always go in. No, really. That's the thing. So we, we know what England can do in their home conditions. They'll be sort of two months into their domestic season and playing a lot of cricket. We'll have a couple of warm-up games and then into some test cricket. So uh, we'll go over there and concentrate on us and make sure we're preparing as well as we can. And, and as always is the case, we, we have our sort of process, the way we want to do things, and then everything, hopefully, doing that well will result in, in us getting what we want out of a game of cricket. Um, but the same thing, we go in there and worry about us more than anything else and, and England will be England and they will be good but it's, it's the nature of the beast, we don't sort of go in there and underestimate England so um, that will be the case again Just looking at the scores over there uh, in Napier I imagine this is a, a feed up batting day is it, hopefully? That's the plan, we're, we're behind the, the eight ball in the game at the moment so it's about going out there and, and it's it is, as you know, Smithy, it's a nice sunny day here, not a cloud in the sky, so it is a good day to bat and, and to bat well and, and just go about our business, be positive in the way we want to do it. Um, the same thing, when you try and bat out a day, if you're sort of just thinking, don't get out, then you're going to be in some trouble anyway, so um, that, that, that is the message, just go out there and be positive in our movements and the ball's there to hit for four, still do that. If you're going to defend, defend strong and, and that's the best way to sort of get through a day, so hopefully we can do that. Good on you, mate. Always great catching up with you, Luke. Sounds good. Congratulations on the Plunkett Shield. Uh, another feather in your cap as well, boy. Uh, all the best. I uh, hope it goes well. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, 10.16 here on SENZ. Uh, we've got a panel coming up very shortly. Uh, our panel this morning consists of uh, a lot of experience, Mark Hinton and Sam Ackerman, and plenty to talk about. That's coming up here. SENZ in the mornings in association with Polaris. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. The panel this morning consists of a couple of very experienced panellists and journalists in their own right, Mark Hinton and Sam Ackerman. Uh, Sam, can I start with you? Can I start really strong with the Warriors on the basis that they're going to go three from three tonight against the North Queensland Cowboys, can I? Yeah, sure, why not? Um, <laughs> look, it's, it's definitely achievable. I haven't been I haven't been blown away by the Cowboys uh, this season. I think that they're uh, they're hot and cold. They are in a pretty in a pretty similar situation to the Warriors, two and two. Um, and I think that the Warriors have got a decent amount of momentum and nothing to suggest uh, that this should be a banana skin game. The Cowboys are a good side. They've got some former Warriors in there um, that will cause some headaches as well. So they are a um, not a team to, to take lightly. But there's nothing to suggest that the Warriors are. Uh, um, 
bubble was about to burst in the context of their performance against the Broncos wasn't one that like actually feel like they just snuck away with it and they're winning, but you know they're ready to topple. Right now, they're not creaming it. They're moving in the right direction, and the Cowboys are a really, really good test for them at this stage of the season. Clash of the weekend for you then, Sam? Yeah, because most of the other clashes aren't that inspiring. Um, it's pretty, it's kind of lopsided um, games as far as the ladder goes, and there's no one that I look at and go, I really want to see. Raiders storm. The Raiders usually have a, um, uh, a pretty good r- a record of stepping up their um, performance against the storm. Um, and I suppose the, the Titans and the Eels is a game that could be a, a bit of a try fest. Uh, and Broncos roosters on paper goes okay. I just, it's hard to say which Broncos side shows up. So yeah, it's, it's certainly the game I'm looking forward to the most and probably the most even matched game of the round. We can't leave out the rugby side of things, uh, Mark, and um, it starts tonight, quite a busy weekend actually, uh, all the New Zealand teams are involved this weekend, uh, so it starts tonight with Moana Pacifica and the Highlanders, the uh, Highlanders actually on the TAB are a buck 06, which says they're unbeatable, I'm not sure about that, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. if you're a betting man, and you and I both are, um, you, might, you might jump on um, uh, Moana um, at those odds, and also maybe with the fourth start. Look, they, they've they only got the one win, the upset over the Hurricanes, but they've been a heck of a competitive. I've been really impressed with Moana Pacifica, um, all things considered. Um, you know, it was a roster of kind of bit part players and guys that were, you know, extra sort of guys from all around the place, and they've come together. Their culture's outstanding. Their, their collectiveness, you know, they've got a lot of work to do on on, on intricate of kind of closing out games and all those sort of things. But it's hard not to be impressed with them. Aaron Major seems to have brought them together really well. So you have to think, against the winless Highlanders team who haven't played that well, they're half a chance. Certainly better than those odds. Your mates at the TAB, very generous there, Smithy. But I, st- I still expect the Highlanders to win. But um, I think Moana Pacifica are more than a sneaky chance. What about Crusaders' uh, Hurricanes? Generally... Uh, the Hurricanes and get up for a Crusaders clash, but uh, I'm not sure. I, I watched the team naming and I saw the reaction um, to the team naming and most people are getting at Jason Holland saying, when are you going to play a proper team, the, the right players in the right place? What have, what have you made of that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, this whole Geordie uh, Barrett experiment at 12 and well, you know, I, I guess if, you, if you're going to give something a go, you've got to stick at it and um, and it wasn't a failure last week, but, um, um, you know, is that his best position? Is that what the Hurricanes are best served with? And, you know, there's probably other arguments around the, the, the field as well. Look, the Hurricanes haven't quite been at their best, have they? But they are. They do get up for the Crusaders. But like you, I just think the Crusaders will be too good for them. I think they'll be too well organised. This is the time of the season when the Crusaders start to shift it up a gear. Um, get things rolling. I think that, that sort of early rust starts to shake off around this. I mean, really, it's around, what are we, around seven or eight? But really, it's kind of like round four, isn't it, with all the stopping and starting we've had and, and ins and outs. So, so I, yeah, I think the Crusaders will be too good. And I, I, I just wonder, I'm not sure that Joy Barrett experiment at 12 is going to be a long-term prospect Um yeah, interesting. I'd, I'd like to see him play well there, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Canes give them a shake-up, but, but um, uh, form and everything suggests the Crusaders should be too good in that one, Smithy. It seems uh, a, a, you know, a world apart when you look at uh, the way uh, 
referees handle both codes, Sam, in terms of league and in terms of rugby, and then you look at the way that disciplinary panels handle league and then they handle rugby, and one of the talking points this week has uh, been the red cards in rugby, particularly the one for uh, Caleb Clark. I'm not sure if you're, you're over this at all, but why, um, why in both codes is there such a differential uh, between you know, rough shots and not-so-rough shots? Uh, the codes have always been similar, well, obviously very similar in skill set and, uh, and, and how a game plans out, but the, the approach to uh, whether, you know, what is a legal player and, and the approach to the what the areas of focus are has always been, I've always found really remarkably different as, uh, as far as where the high shots in league seem to be um, because of the confrontational manner of the tackle rather than the, the ball's acumen and trying to strip the ball off. It always was uh, that way inclined, and, and rugby now is finding itself through a lot of uh, body technique and body sorry, by, uh, tackle technique and body position, and a little bit of uh, the same problems that league has been in, in previously. And I think the heightened awareness of concussion uh, and and the effects of that mean that we're all very aware of it. Uh, I think that rugby's handling itself pretty well, to be quite honest right now. I think the rugby league's biggest criticism has always been the massive inconsistency where if you got a punishment, uh, if you did a, a tackle, you could be maybe sinned in, maybe red card, maybe put on report. You might get one week, you might get five weeks. Who, who knows? It's a lottery given any given week and change of perceptions. The way that the uh, the past week or so has, has panned out with the, uh, the red cards and with the uh, the suspensions, especially the, the those three weeks once we met it out, it's consistent. And if you're getting the same result from things, um, to me as a, as a fan, that's, while you might be disappointed with it, at least it's not a, my, my team's aggrieved or, you know, it's not like the, when the Warriors go to the judiciary and they, they bring out a, a larger dice to roll um, to see how many uh, weeks a, a player's going to get. It, there's no uh, lack of transparency here and if that stays, then people can't complain too much. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that and I, I read uh, also, Mark Hinton, where the Blues were fully in agreement with uh, the punishment dealt out to, to Caleb Clark, which I around the country there's been sort of uh, a little bit of conjecture about it, but the Blues support it. Yeah, interesting. I was at that uh, stand-up yesterday after training. Um, Daniel Halangahu, the attack coach, and Dalton Papali, the skipper, uh, spoke to the media. And, of course, Caleb Clark's suspension was a hot topic, Smithy. Um, and I guess we all kind of expected them to potentially be a little bit aggrieved um, wonder, you know, about how um, hard done by maybe Caleb was. I mean, you know, we all know that his, um, yeah, rugby has a zero tolerance approach to contact to the head now. That's clear. That's come from world rugby and it's, it's clearly filtered down. Uh, so the sending off wasn't a surprise, but the fact that he got three weeks, which is the same as his teammate Nico Lolala for a really, you know, badly judged shoulder to the head of an opposition player, whereas Caleb, as we all know, uh, jumped in the air to uh, try and charge down a kick, and it was just really an accidental collision. Same suspension. So you, we expected the Blues to maybe sound off, but they didn't. Look, they look. They came in and said, "Fair and fair enough. We have to play a safety as paramount. We have to be more careful about when we're putting ourselves in these positions." So the Blues are on board. If they're on board, I guess we all should be smithy. Um, to me, it looked it looked like a, a, an unfair suspension when you compare the swinging arms or the shoulders to the head with with what Caleb did. But the end result was he took a guy in the head and, and, and badly hurt him. And I guess end result is what it's all about in rugby at the moment. So if the Blues are on board, I guess we all should be. Yep, I think it's a fair point actually, and it's nice to see them 
supportive rather than argumentative and just getting on with business, as we have to do in terms of the news. So stay with us, fellas. Mark Kinton uh, with us, as well as Sam Ackerman. Uh, time to uh, pop into the News Bulletin Bureau, uh, where Aroa is waiting for us. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We've got Mark Hinton with us and Sam Ackerman on the panel this morning. And uh, Sammy, uh, I'd like your thoughts on this. I mean, I was heavily involved commentating the, the Women's Cricket World Cup, but uh, I, was, uh, I was caught up in the wave of it, actually. I, I'm not quite sure about what people looking on from a distance were thinking about it in that respect, but I, I thought it was pretty cool. And I think it's an opportunity now for New Zealand cricket to uh, get their skates on and cash in very quickly before the flame starts to just dwindle a wee bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that overall event and where we should go with our team, bearing in mind we weren't part of the final picture? Uh, first of all, the event, I, I can't fault it. That for, for what it was in the context it had to um, survive in and the, uh, the red light settings uh, prior to the outdoor limits coming off, for the bulk of it, including the games that really mattered for New Zealand, uh, Without, without those restrictions, who knows what could have happened. But for what they were putting on, for what there was, it was great entertainment. There's a lot of high-quality games, uh, there's upsets, there was uh, reasons to be uh, engaged in games if you're a sports fan outside of just the New Zealand team. Uh, just take the West Indies, watching them go along um, it alone was, uh, it was a cool rivalry part of England's recovery, getting themselves through the final after a couple of close losses. So... Great tournament, thoroughly enjoyed it, and congrats to um, Andrew Nielsen and everyone who put it on. I think it was a great, uh, a great spectacle. We have been traditionally, uh, whether it comes to winning titles or hosting events, crap at following it up as a country. Cash striking while the iron's hot, making sure that any momentum gained is, uh, is brought in in any other way. Like Take sailing, for example, the America's Cups here. What happens to sailing outside of that? Where, where do we suddenly see any kind of benefit to the sport and to sailors here about really jumping on the bandwagon and watching numbers go through the roof, making it accessible? The same thing's got to happen here for cricket in this country. New Zealand cricket now has the opportunity to jump in on the coattails of what that tournament provided and make things as accessible as possible. I'm talking where they can and within resources and, and whatnot, but into schools is the place to be because uh, clubs are not uh, going to be running over, over winter, obviously, so you really got to get in and make sure you are, uh, as I say, striking the line sock and building up that profile. As for, for the White Ferns, uh, there needs to be a, a reset in some shape or form. We know that comes uh, through the coach, but beyond that, where can we compete? Uh, how do we lift the, the standard? And Smitty, you were there and, and was no way better than uh, than those of us from uh, afar, but it looks like the, the money that goes into the professional game for Australia and England, to me, means that they're going to stay at that top echelon for a while, and while we can enjoy the cricket below that and there be some great encounters, I wonder if it's going to take uh, a huge boost in that professional investment in Justin for other teams to be able to get into that stratosphere. I, I'm worried that the rich will get richer. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Um, I think there has to be a real desire. Someone has to drive it from New Zealand cricket. They, they really, Whether it's a committee or it's an individual, someone has to drive it. They have to drive it right now um, because now is the time yep. in terms of sponsorship, in terms of interest, that you really do have to cash in. Uh, that was a five-year, and they were at pains to point it out, Sam, a five-year exercise to get to that point of perfection, the Australians. So there's hope there for others, but it's going to need resources. Mark, what, what's your take on it? Well, for me, it seemed like the rest of the world has a lot of work to do to catch up on Australia. There was daylight, wasn't there, Smithy, between the Australians mm. who were so, 
so impressive and really everyone else and you, you put probably England at the top of the chasing pack um, you know they got through to the final they were a reasonably well sort of um, constructed team but they weren't in Australia's league were they? I mean, it, was, it was just a masterclass from the Australians of consistency and of excellence and the rest of the world it, it is a concern when, when you've got one team so dominant in an aspect of the game um, I'm not sure we see it in the male game anymore and haven't for some time. So um, the challenge is there, isn't it, for not just for New Zealand, for for England, for everybody, for India, for everybody who wants to compete in the women's cricket side of the game. You've got to look at what the Australians have been doing. OK, they pour money into it. OK, they have a lot of talent. OK, it's a very high-profile game in that country. Jeepers, you look at um, India and the resources they have and... And even in New Zealand, I think we've got to find a way to be competitive. That's always been our sporting ethos, Smithy. We, we don't have the resources, we don't have the debts, we don't have the numbers of other countries, but we find a way to be competitive in so many sports. And I think that's probably the challenge for, for you know, the cricket bosses in New Zealand is, is to find a way. But they've also got work to do, don't they? They have to put more resources into the women's game. They have to try and ride this wave of interest and support. So there's a lot to do, and um, I think you know they need to look across to their mates at New Zealand Rugby. They're putting a lot of time and effort into the women's game now, and I think New Zealand cricket has to do the same. They have to say it's incumbent on us to, to put more resources into, into the women's game. Clearly New Zealand needs it, and clearly we need to build more depth and bring, bring more young players through. One worrying thing about that White Ferns team is that you know, there was a lot of players, um, at, you know, at the, uh, at the sort of uh, wrong end of the of the age spectrum, shall we say, at the more senior level. They need to bring in, aside from the Southwaites, don't have a lot of younger talent coming through. So there's a lot to do, Smitty, and I think the Aussies showed everybody the standard to aspire to, and everyone else seems a long way off that. Hey, Mark, you touched on an interesting point there with uh, New Zealand rugby and the, the resources they've put into women's rugby, etc. Um, I... I was sort of aware of it, but I had it confirmed the other day by Michelle Hooper. The Women's Rugby World Cup, only in Whangarei in Auckland. Are you surprised at that? Yeah, I'm not sure about why that was and how much logistics played into it in terms of wanting to keep it all in one sort of area and everybody moving around. Um, I am surprised because you would think in a, in a World Cup, you know, you take it to the country, um, and I haven't seen any breakdown in the reason for that, Smithy, so I'm a little bit, um, uh, I'm not sure on that one, but it, it is surprising because you would think if that, if that tournament builds a head of steam up and if the Black Ferns can um, be competitive, and I guess that's their challenge and that's the great unknown, um, interest will bubble all around the country and, and the fact that really only people in the top half of the North Island are going to get to see the these games in person is a little mystifying, but I'm not sure the reasons why. Well, I think it is too. Sam, um, Tiger Woods, mystifying for you? I mean, this is amazing. He's, he's in the top 10 after round one. No, it's amazing. and I, I can't believe he's only in the top 10. I wasn't aware there's any other golfers playing this event. I thought that um, it was <laughs> only Tiger Woods. Uh, I mean, I, I people say that you know the, the, the Tiger Woods hype train is... Insane! It is remarkable what just his sheer presence. But this isn't just any tournament either. It's the Masters. This is if, if any golfer is linked intrinsically to an event, it is Tiger Woods and the Masters. And it's the you know, 25th anniversary of his first victory there. It's got so much incredible storyline to it. But 
I actually think that people said, you know, when Tiger's back, it's good for golf. This is great for Tiger, and it's good for golf in the context of being watched. I think I feel for the other players that they are completely uh, eclipsed here, and that they're getting to the um, to the media opportunities after producing you know great results. They're saying, "Did you see Tiger out there? What do you think of Tiger? How, how's Tiger going?" It is. Uh, it's it's gone to the point of eclipse. Yes, big circumstances. As you know, we thought he might have lost his leg at some point, and here he is uh, sitting in the top ten and, and being well placed and looking confident at a one of golf's greatest events. Uh, but yeah, listen, the the hype train is starting to uh, not just uh, take the other golfers with it; it's starting to run over them now. And Mark, I'll leave you the final word for today. Um, uh, Tiger Woods, uh, from your point of view. Well, I, I think it's maybe not just the sports story of the weekend or of the week. It could be the sports story of the year, Smithy. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the reason the hype is so extreme is because it, it is the ultimate fairy tale sporting story. This guy had a car accident in uh, February of 2021. Look, he hasn't played any competitive golf in 509 days. It's just remarkable. They said, they told him when he was lying on the uh, gurney that he may have to have his leg amputated. It was so badly mauled and injured in that car accident. He's got a rod in his tibia. He's got screws and plates in his right ankle and his foot. He's four shots off the lead of the Masters after round one. It is an absolutely remarkable story. And as you know, Smithy, there's no stories in sport like the underdog fairy tale one. Tiger's always been the favourite. He's always been the guy you expect to do well until now. He's a guy that no one really expected to compete. No one expected to line up and, and be in, in the mix. And here he is, which is a testament to his incredible fighting quality. So for once, I think the hype is justified. I really do. I think this is an incredible story. He had seven... Um, uh, saves up and downs in that round which again is testament to his fighting qualities he didn't actually hit the ball that well off the tee which is which is his, his point of difference but he still found a way to be competitive incredible round whether he can sustain it's another matter but the world's eyes are on augusta and so they should be this is a great great sporting story it is a great sporting story at a great sporting event gentlemen thank you very much for summing up a, a number of topics for me this morning uh, this has been the panel with Sam Ackerman and for Mark Hinton. Have uh, a great weekend watching sport, and I would imagine Tiger will be on the agenda there too, as it will for uh, the rest of the country. Will uh, we'll be coming up uh, very shortly with uh, a couple of texts that have uh, come in, uh, a chat with Ricardo about a couple of things as well, uh, and then of course uh, we'll be talking to Louis Herman Watt in the TAB before eleven o'clock today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, 10.47.2 here on SCNZ. Uh, texts that have come in, Morning Smithy. There's no pressure on Tiger. The pressure is on, on all the young bucks. All the pressure, though, on the Highlanders tonight. I will not be putting my house on this game. Bloody nervous. That's from Jeff. Uh, Brett has come in and said, Brett, uh, maybe Mr Foster has asked for Barrett to play 12 so Will Jordan can play at 15. Maybe. Not sure that uh, if I was coaching the Hurricanes, I'd be, uh, and my record wasn't that flash, and I might be under a bit of pressure whether I'd be wavering and uh, uh, getting people to play in positions I genuinely didn't want them to myself. We've had a history of that in the past. Uh, Ian has come in and said, the Warriors in a multi-smithy, are you mad? Probably, absolutely mad. Uh, namesake Ian, thank you very much for your text. Uh, big game of footy this uh, weekend, uh, Ricardo. 
Uh, Man City, Liverpool, they're a point apart. Uh, this is a staggering story. When considering about a month and a half ago, we were talking about being this league being a fait accompli. Yeah, it's a massive game, Smithy, and you're right. Uh, Liverpool have done really well just to continue to grind, to continue to put the pressure on, and their consistency uh, has been fantastic. Man City, meanwhile, have you know they've been upset a couple of times. They've dropped some points with some draws. Uh, I think they had a draw at Palace was one of them where they've dropped points, and uh, it's allowed Liverpool to catch up. And you got to think, whoever wins this game should then go on and win the league. I know City have got a, a one point lead. Um, so yeah, I think this is the game where it's going to be the, it's going to be the difference maker. It's at the Etihad, um, and mm. that probably plays slightly in City's favour, although not as much of a favour as if it was at Anfield for Liverpool. If you know what I mean, I think that has more influence on games playing at Anfield than say playing at Etihad does. But yeah, it's it's going to be a great game. I think at the moment, neither team are playing to their 100% best. Um, so hopefully this brings the best out in both of them and fires them on through to the rest of the season. Well, Manchester United are in quite a crucial game too because they play Everton and it's crucial for two reasons. One man, you are floating around the top four, which is Europe. Uh, Everton are floating around relegation. Yeah, well, I mean, they had a game yesterday, so they, they, they went to Burnley and lost 3-2 after being 2-1 mm. up. Um, and Burnley were the team, you know, that really was closest to them in t- terms of dragging them into the relegation scrap. So they've played now the same amount of games as Burnley, and they're only a point clear. And Burnley have got a better goal difference. Um, so And Burnley have actually got a reasonably good run. And I think they played Norwich this weekend, Burnley, who are bottom. So there's another opportunity for Burnley to pick up three points, whereas Everton host Manchester United, who I know have been hot and cold, but the way Everton are leaking goals at the moment, you, I don't think you can pick past uh, Manchester United in that game. Okay, interesting. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that over the weekend. It's EPL news. Uh, just prior to uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to visit the TAB. And before that, We'll be speaking to Louis Herman Watt racing over the weekend and some big stuff coming out of Sydney. Calls arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 10.55 here on SENZ. Uh, Time to head across to uh, Louis Herman Watt, of course, who joins us on behalf of uh, racing New Zealand, and that is uh, loveracing.co.nz. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, uh, I know you've had a fun-filled morning at Eden Park, so let's get some focus from your fella. Racing today at Wanganui, and a busy weekend as well on both sides of the Tasman. You know what they say, if Polaris has a shipload of vehicles for New Zealand, uh, we've got a shipload of winners at Awapuni today, courtesy of Alan Sharrick. Cool. They've, been saying it, they've been saying it for generations. And today, our Hail Mary, an each-way chance in about race six, I think it is. Then we go to Cinerama uh, in the, the feature, the group race. Tony Kemp has a big share in Cinerama. She has got to be a red-hot chance with the form here. And then Ideal in the last. If you're a quaddy player, you could probably just anchor Alan Sharrick's three. I honestly think there's a chance that Sharrick, what I would do, how I would play it, is I would go place our Hail Mary, win Cinerama, mm. and then one with a win for Ideal and one with a place for Ideal in the last. I think he's going, to, he's going down there with bad intentions today, Mr. Sherrick. Okay, well, it's the curtain raiser before the main event, mate. Come on, let's be fair. Uh, Ramwick tomorrow. Yes, it is. I've been thinking so long and hard about this. For the um, very elegant Juas, Animo, Zaki. Here's my best guess. Zaki doesn't quite cop the bottomless track. He leads, he sets the tempo. Animo gets a run in behind and with the weight can run into the placings. 
very elegant, and Jua swooped from the back, but very elegant, being the superior stayer. She probably wins. Jua to do her best to knock her off over the last 50 metres. I think it goes very elegant. Animo popping through for second. Jua for third. Okay. Uh, what about the, the Oaks and the Cup? I think um, I think uh, James Cummings will have a massive day. I love Honey Creeper. I think Honey Creeper was superb in the, the prelude in the weekend. Uh, just gone. I think she'll go really close in the Oaks. And in the Cup, oh, I would love the chosen one to be able to lug the weight, but I don't think you could back him. Although he is in the choice price. So I'll, I'll have a small ticket, but I reckon look for those other Waller horses. No compromise. And the Queen's horse and the Queen's colours, Chalk Stream. Imagine Chris Waller getting a winner for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II on Queen Elizabeth's stakes day. Wouldn't put it past them. I would not put it past them. He'd be more popular than Prince Andrew if he did, I would, I would imagine. <laughs> so let's just... just just, just have a, just have a great weekend, won't you? Uh, let's go to uh, Pip Morris, of course, at the TAB. Uh, Pip, uh, Greyhounds today, two meetings, Addington and Palmerston North. Yeah, plenty to look forward to. Good morning to you, Smithy. And owners back a mini blitz today too. So the first two races at Palmerston North Greyhounds, as well as our Alexandra for the harness and Addington a little later on and I do think at Palmerston North in one of those bonus back races, race number two the three big time Balmer at $6 is worth a play, I definitely think she can finish top four, she just uh, anticipated the start the other day Smithy and missed it by a mile but she's much better than that, expect her to bounce back and on the sports side of things there's been a big multi to look forward to for uh, a lot of the NRL games, $3,000 multi on the following head-to-head. Roosters to win, the Storm to win, Sharks to win, the Panthers into the Highlanders, the Brumbies, Sydney for the AFL and Collingwood the AFL to return $7,948. So good luck to that punter. Thank you very much, Pip. Uh, have a great weekend yourself. Uh, enjoy uh, the Greyhounds and the rest of the racing as well. Sun JM has the clubhouse lead at this point in the uh, first round of the Masters. Uh, he sits at five under par. After the break, we'll be talking women's football. Big match-up over the weekend to look forward to. In the meantime, it's news time coming up 11. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, it's been all about uh, women's cricket in this country, but now our attention uh, turns to uh, this weekend in particular, women's football, and uh, it's the Matildas against the Football Ferns in a two-match series in Townsville uh, and then in Canberra, and it is a vitally important series uh, looking towards uh, next year in particular when both of these uh, countries, of course, host the World Women's Football Cup. What an amazing and massive event that will be, and uh, no one better to talk to about both of these sides and, and women's football in general uh, than former Matilda's coach, former football Ferns coach, former USA coach, uh, Tom Samani. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, really cool, mate. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, actually, before we start on the Matildas and the Ferns, I wouldn't imagine there's, uh, in terms of women's sport, there's a much, many more high-profile and pressure-driven jobs as coaching the USA women's football team. Uh, that would, meet, would have been a hell of an experience for you. It was a great experience, yeah. But it, it's interesting when you talk about the pressure because um, because you're, you're with like, off the best team in the world, generally, actually I found the pressure a little bit less. I found more pressure when I was on the opposition bench playing against the US <laughs> because you know you were coming up against the best in the world. So 
Yeah, interestingly, um, I kind of had, I felt the pressure a little bit reversed. Uh, Tom, interesting too, uh, as we stand now, the last uh, w- big uh, women's football engagement, of course, was the Olympics. Uh, the USA didn't win that, the neighbours did. So where would you, uh, this far out from the Women's World Cup, who would you be looking at uh, in terms of, uh, I won't say a winner, but, uh, you know, those profile teams? That, that's a great question, because I was just talking about that the other day. Women's football reached the stage now, similar to men's football, where there's potentially six or seven winners of the World Cup. You know, I think the US have got a slight edge, but the edge now is slight. And you saw that at the Olympics when they came third, but really... Uh, I think they only maybe won one or two games during that tournament. So I think the situation now, Spain has really come forward in the last three or four years. So Spain, France, Germany, Sweden always play well at big tournaments. Canada obviously have won a gold medal at the Olympics. Um, and and on, in any given day, along with the US, any of those teams can beat each other. Okay, let's look at uh, this matchup, which is uh, quite a mouthwatering one, actually. Uh, when uh, the Matildas take on the football ferns, first of all in Townsville. Um, now let, let's uh, look at why these teams don't play more often. I mean, uh, I would imagine it certainly would benefit us. Uh, I guess opportunity is the thing. We've had a couple of years of COVID as well, which just put the cog wash on a lot of things. But uh, wouldn't it be beneficial for both these teams to play more often? You think? It, it was huge. You know, if I go back to my time in charge of the Matildas when John Herdman was uh, the, uh, the Ferns coach, we used to play each other regularly, probably twice a year. I think the challenge now, though, is that the way the game's gone and, and players are now playing professionally all over the world. You know, and back in those days, the Kiwi players were generally in New Zealand, the Aussie players were in Australia. So it was really very, very easy for us to play against each other and really valuable. But now the players are scattered all over the world. It's actually a major challenge to get both teams playing against each other and get both teams either down into Australia or New Zealand at the same time. And it's also a very expensive exercise. So the dynamics have changed a little bit. Um, but like you say, if the two teams can play each other, more often the better. And I, I watched a game the other night, the under-20s, uh, young firms and the young Matildas played each other. And I think it's really important at that age group that there's more cross-connection between the two countries and that would really help the development of both countries. As you say, it hasn't been easy to get uh, complete squads together, which hasn't made the job easy for relatively new coach and Jitka Klimklova coming in to take over uh, the White Ferns. How have you made the White Ferns development under, under Jitka so far? I think she's done really well, and she has had a really challenging oh, situation. Not so much in getting the players together. The big challenge that Jitka's had is being able to get the staff together um, because it's been impossible for most of the staff who are New Zealand-based to be able to get overseas. So she's had to, you know, scratch staff together from other places and other countries. And then you sort of lack continuity, which, which can affect performance and affect, affect things around the team. But I think she's done a really good job because, you know, she's played, they've played in the last three windows. They've had really good and, and varied competition. And she's had an opportunity to you know, play the established players, but also have a look at some of the up-and-coming players. Um, and I think that's been really valuable to her. Uh, how would you expect the series to go then, um, when you look at the makeup of both sides? I, don't, I think there's a couple of defections uh, out of um, 
the, the football ferns at Abbey Utsig in particular. So I, I just wonder, uh, how would you think this match-up will go over those two games? It's interesting. I think, you know, uh, Abbey Utsig and CJ, CJ Bott are both missing, and that, those are two big losses for the, the ferns. But I think, you know, I think the great thing the ferns have got coming into this fixture is that they've played in the last three windows. So they've had some time together. Um, most of the players are in season, so they, they've been playing, so they're, they're not kind of rusty. Um, the Matildas have had some, some uh, you know, they had a poor Asian Cup. They're under pressure. They really need to try and, and get a result, and particularly get a result at home. So if anything, you know, the, if the football firms can start this game well, I think they could cause a little bit of an upset. The Matildas, uh, with what's coming up uh, in the next um, 14, 15 months, of course, culminating in the World Cup, uh, are they sort of a flag bearer for Australian football at the moment? The Socceroos seem to be underperforming a wee bit. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You've not <laughs> hit the nail on the head. They've also got a higher profile, I think, than the, uh, the Socceroos. It's, it's interesting, when I had coached the US team, the US women's players are the higher profile than the men's players. And that's exactly the situation um, being mirrored in Australia at the moment where the Matildas have actually got a higher profile and are more visible and more well-recognised than the Socceroos, um, which is a great thing for women's football, but also puts them under the spotlight a little bit and put them on, puts them under pressure a little bit. And, um, and we've seen uh, in, you know, in the recent tournament in the Asian Cup and some friendlies last year, you know, the performances haven't quite matched the hype. So they'll be under pressure in these games to do well against New Zealand. Let's look at um, why it's so strong, why the profile is so strong uh, in Australia then, Tom, if we can. Um, I, I just wonder, the, the, the Women's Football League, is that part of the, is it part of the secret to success for women's football in Australia? I think it certainly helped because what, what it's done is it, it's given the, the game a domestic profile. So it's given sort of recognition, and then that gave a, a, a grounding for a, for the Matildas players, particularly the young Matildas players like a Sam Kerr going through the system. Um, and then I think the other thing that's helped is that somebody, you know, you have the one player that gives your sport a profile, and in this case it is Sam Kerr, and she's become, you know, if you like, famous on the world stage. So that that in itself then attracts attention to the Matildas. And then there's a spin-off that benefits the rest of the players and benefits the Matilda's brand, to quote a, a, a marketing term, which I don't like to do. <laughs> mm. Well, it's going to be pretty important, of course, the marketing side of it, uh, with, uh, with a view in mind of what's coming up, Tom, of course. Uh, I've, just getting back to the, the Women's League, of course, the introduction this year of uh, the, the Wellington Phoenix. We, we found it quite exciting because it was something completely new to us. There were a bunch of young girls making a commitment to head overseas, spend a lot of time away from their family, no home games, of course. Uh, and, and so we found it quite a, a really progressive mood for New Zealand, New Zealand women's football. Fantastic move. An unbelievably great move. You know, we've tried for some time to get the Phoenix in the league and after much negotiations last year, uh, they managed to achieve that. And the team and the staff did an unbelievable job. You know, they were based just south of Sydney, where, where I, I live, so I managed to get down there to their games and, and to some of the training sessions and, and things like that. And they did an incredible job. When you consider the team was, you know, put together in the blink of an eye, when you consider, like you say, a lot of young players heading off overseas for the first time, being away from home for about five months in that full-time training environment that they've never really had, 
um, and having to gel together and go into an unfamiliar competition, you know, they did, you know, I can't, I, I can't use strong enough words to praise how well they did on and off the field. Great ambassadors for New Zealand. The other teams and other players in the league really admired their, their effort and their commitment and, and everything about the team. So great job. Talking to us. Very high-profile women's football coach uh, Tom Samani uh, this morning, which is fantastic. We've got this opportunity. Uh, we're looking at uh, the football ferns up against uh, the Matildas coming up uh, in uh, Townsville and Canberra. You know, when you look to promote a World Cup, um, Tom, you have to you have to base it around a lot of individuals as such. Uh, you, you you don't like the marketing term, but that's the fact of the matter. Uh, who are the players? Who are the players? Uh, in terms of um, the football ferns that we'll be looking for to be standout performers on a world stage that we should be looking to market. Well, I, I think I, I think there's a you know there's a group of young ones coming through that hopefully I, I don't want to mention any names because it could be it could be the case of death for them, but I think there'll be mm. one or two younger players that will really break through in the next um, you know the next six or seven months hopefully for for the team. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's a great opportunity for, for the established players, you know, like, a, for example, I think Hannah Wilkinson, who did exceptionally well in the W League this year, I think, you know, somebody like her, um, it's a great opportunity for them to really sort of shine at home and, and to really, you know, um, represent women's football uh, in, in a fantastic way, both on and off the field. And, and there are several players like that uh, around the, the Ferns team that I think can do that as well. And, and hopefully that happens over the next, you know, 12 months or so. So, so Tom, just finally, what's a result? What's a good result for us over the, these next two games? What's an encouraging result? I, th- I think an encouraging result is, it, if a team gets a draw, I think that's an, an, an incredibly cutting, uh, in, encouraging result. I think the important thing, the most important thing for the team is to be competitive. You know, I think in these games, I try not to get too carried away with, you know, the, the actual result. A win would be fantastic, but I think it's really important that the, the team is, is competitive um, and that the scoreline is tight one way or another. You're a perfect guy to actually... I, I just want to finish by going back to the US women's team because they have been the flagship. I mean, for me, I, I think they're probably the, the most high-profile women's sporting team for a long, long time, and set the benchmark, which also incorporates, you know, the, the rights or, or and the, not not so much the rights, but um, the benefits and the pay scales and things like that. Now they've fought very, very hard uh, to a point where I think they're either on equal footing or they're ahead of the US men's team. Uh, but it's been a battle for them. It's been a it's been a twenty five year battle. You know, when I had the Matildas, we had a relationship with the US in the mid-90s when I first took the Matilda's job. And, and they were fighting for women's rights then. So they had those pioneers fighting all the way through. So for 30 years, those players, or 25 years, those players in the, in the groups that, uh, that have followed those you know, um, players in the 90s have, have constantly been fighting for women's rights. And, and they are, they're the benchmark. They're the, the ones that the other teams and other countries have to follow to push for, for equal rights and for you know to be treated to be treated fairly, and and particularly now now is the time to do that because you see World Cup coming up next year, 
the profile of women's sport, the number of young girls that are playing soccer is, is phenomenal. So, you know, if anything, it's now is the time for, for female players to actually, you know, go in there and, and really fight for, for a fair and equitable deal when it comes to playing soccer. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your update, and uh, we look forward to this uh, two-match series, uh, a chance to see them uh, play against Australia. And, and of course, uh, the World Cup was not so far away, and we'd love to, uh, at some stage before then, catch up with you again. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Love to do that, and I really appreciate the call. Thank you. Cheers. That's Tom Samani, folks, probably the most high-profile women's football coach in the history of the game. Uh, and, of course, he's uh, very close to New Zealand, Australia, and to the US as well, and still taking a, a big interest in uh, New Zealand women's football with his views there on <clears throat> the Wellington Phoenix team. And, uh, Ricardo, I, I know that, um, you know, uh, you're a big football man, but I don't quite think... I mean, we've had the Women's uh, Cricket World Cup. We've had the uh, going to have the Women's Rugby World Cup. That'll be huge. It'll be massive. But I don't think people quite realise how big a part of the world will be looking at the Women's Football World Cup when it's staged here. Yeah, well, you're exactly right, Smithy. Just recently in the uh, Women's Champions League in Europe, Barcelona and Real Madrid were drawn together and they played a game at the New Camp that had 91,000 people at it. Two women's teams yeah. in the quarterfinal of a Champions League. What is that? 91,000 people for any game of sport is quite incredible. So is, now, is that... Women's football, is that the rivalry between two well-known clubs? What What is bringing out 91,000 people? I think it's a little bit of both, but I really think it's the growth of the women's game because I think if you had had that game yeah. 10 years ago, you wouldn't have got 91,000 people. Uh, there still would have been the ultras from both teams that would have wanted to turn up, but I think that was probably a game that was more likely to attract 10,000. Uh, so, mm. it, yeah, it's grown massively, um, the, the women's game. And you've got to remember, too, that some of these places, uh, I mean, like Europe, obviously, it's the number one game, and those leagues are getting bigger and bigger, higher profile. In fact, uh, in England, the FA have just announced that the winners of the Women's FA Cup will now get the same money as the winners of the Men's FA Cup, Ooh. which is about £3 million. Whoa, wow, that's interesting. That's great news. I mean, the, the gaps just continue to close, but they're closing at a much quicker rate uh, than I think uh, people were expecting that they would. Uh, fantastic. And I'll tell you something else, Ricardo. I don't think they'll struggle to sell tickets no. to the uh, Women's Football World Cup because... I believe, uh, and I'm praying here, I've got my hands praying in terms of COVID and all sorts of horrible things that could interrupt it. Um, all going well, borders open, getting back to a, a relatively normal life. I think people will flock to New Zealand in particular for this event. Yeah, well, New Zealand, Australia, I mean, for a lot of Europe and, and the States, uh, Canada, places like that, you know, it's there's disposable incomes there and it's a part of the world that's seen as attractive to come to. It's beaches, it's nature, it's Lord of the Rings, it's, um, you know, all of that. Mm. And so there's so much uh, to attract people as well as having, you know, the biggest football tournament in the world here. Yeah, amazing. Uh, thanks for that, Ricardo. Thanks, too, for getting Tom Samani, outstanding guest. Uh, we're going to be talking greyhound racing very shortly with... Wayne Steele, very high-profile uh, partaker, I shall say, in the greyhound industry. He's been on the, the board of New Zealand Greyhound Racing. I think he still is. President of Waikato in the past, a trainer in his own right. So we'll catch up with Wayne very shortly. The vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
It is 11.25 here on SENZ and courtesy of Greyhound Racing New Zealand. Every time Friday at this time we uh, talk to uh, a personality from the Greyhound Racing industry and uh, this morning I'm really pleased to say we're going to be talking to Wayne Steele. Now Wayne's a, a trainer in conjunction with his wife Tracy. It's really a very much a family business uh, and it has been for quite some time. Uh, Wayne, you've uh, had a foot in the door of Greyhound Racing not just from the training point of view uh, but also from the administrative point of view, you've been you know, what, president of Waikato and now still on the Greyhound Racing New Zealand uh, board as well. So, man, you love the you love the dogs. I certainly do. It's, uh, it's a full time lifestyle, that's for sure. Uh, just how um, how busy are you, mate? You've, you've got uh, what size is your kennel? Um, it's sort of medium, I suppose, compared to some of the bigger guys down south. But uh, we've got. Um, We've basically got 30 dogs and work all the time, and then uh, obviously you break in and pups, and we're, we're rearing the odd litter as well. So, yeah, it's, she's pretty busy. It's pretty full on, but um, it's it's at that it's still at a manageable point. I would never want to get above that. Okay, and you've got, uh, of course, you've, and as I said, it's a family thing. Corey's involved in it as well. Yeah, no, Corey's um, come back home. I've just finished um, building a new shed and kennel block for him to train from, and Basically, the deal with him is he's going to train his own team, but we're sort of working together to share, you know, share facilities and um, traveling and the vehicles and vans and bits and pieces. And hopefully, it helps both of us out and uh, sort of just makes life a little bit smoother. So this has been in the family for quite some time. Your, your dad uh, had greyhounds way, way back, uh, and when you were a toddler, you didn't have too many memories of that. But then again, uh, he came back into it, and you got involved. That's when you really started to fall for it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, as you say, he he um, helped build one of the first tracks. Um, I'm not too sure exactly where it was in the Waikato, and there's photos of me running around as sort of five, six-year-old, but I don't really remember that. But in the early 80s, he decided to get back into it and breed a litter, and I sort of was 13, 14 at the time and helped her, helped him out in the, the bug bit. And um, so when I left home and joined the Army, I uh, took a took a pup and sent it down to Graham Noblet in Wellington to train for me and every sort of spare moment I had I spent down there going to races and helping him and yeah just thoroughly loved the sport. Uh, what about the, the administration side of it Wayne? Um, look we don't hear too much about it. Is it, is it, is it an easy sport to uh, to administer? Uh, what, are the, what are the biggest hurdles you've got to get over? Oh, there's, there's there's a lot of hurdles out there, and I, and I suppose the biggest one is is that public perception of the sport. Um, we, we never really have um, the true side of it portrayed. There's always a bit of an ag- agenda to the people that uh, want to shut us down. But I think the big thing for me was I got on the committee at Waikato when I was first started training as a public trainer when I was about 25 because I felt that. If you wanted to have a future, you really should put your hand up and, and help direct that future and help make sure there's a living for you in 10, 20, 30 years' time. And it's just progressed from there and, and now on the board as well. But um, I, I think with myself being on the board, because of a, I'm a trainer and a, a breeder and the whole family's involved, I think I bring a, a slightly different perspective. So um, there's a little bit more harmony between um, the more intelligent people on there that, that come up with the, the great ideas and... Um, we can make it more practical with, um, you know, the knowledge from the ground roots. I've hunted through the race book, the cards uh, coming up today in particular. Nothing in for, from the steel kennel that I can see. No, no, not today. Um, 
I'm pretty much sticking to the uh, Thursdays at Cambridge and Sundays at Auckland. And unless we have something really fantastic in the kennel, I don't see the point in travelling these days. And it's nice not to have to travel. Um, we're racing for reasonable money. Dogs are getting starts regularly at both tracks. So um, why, why make life harder and, and have to travel? I'm, I know you're not a punter. I am. Uh, and one of the frustrating things when you back the dogs, of course, is one, will they jump? Two, when they get around that first bend. Uh, and then I look at Australia, and they've got a number of straight tracks over there. As from an administrator's point of view, is that something you're looking at? Uh, it is something we're looking at. Um, my personal view is I don't really like them, um, but my view doesn't count if it's um, you know for the betterment of the sport. I, I can see the place to, to have the odd one, but um, I'm not a great fan. Um, and realistically, the injury rate is only pretty marginal between the tracks. And at the end of the day, my argument's always been, um, you know, what's the definition of an injury? Most people go for a run or do something and they might come back and be a little bit bloody sore in a hamstring for, for a day because they overdid it. Um, greyhound racing, it's the same thing, but of course that goes down as an injury stat. So it's a hard one to weigh up, but um, it is definitely something that's been looked into quite seriously at the moment. Cool, Wayne. Uh, absolutely great to um, to talk to you this morning. We'll keep an eye on the Cambridge dogs from now on rather than the other ones and look for the Steel Kennel to come to uh, to the fore in that. And, uh, really enlightening uh, to spend a few minutes with you this morning, mate. All the best. Thank you very much for your time. No, thank you. I appreciate that. All righty, cheers. It's, yeah, cheers. Uh, Wayne Steele there from uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand. Uh, it is uh, 11.31. Gosh, we're running a wee bit late, so... Uh, well, we have, well, we have, yeah, I, okay, we'll have one, Ricardo, just because you've twisted my arm. We'll have a stump smother, yeah, we will. Okay, 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, uh, stump smithy uh, is on, yeah, it is, and uh, we'll have uh, 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops up for grabs after the news coming up right now with Araha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, time for Stump with Smithy. How are you feeling about it today, Smithy? Yeah, pretty confident, actually, Ricardo. No, right. I really am. I, I quite like a Friday stumper. Okay, well, I've, I've, I've gone the three options. We've got John on the on the line. We'll come to John in a minute. He gets to choose. But the three options are Anzac Clashes, so that's across codes, golf or cricket. Yeah. So I think I, I, I think you'd be pretty comfortable with all of those, wouldn't you, Smithy? I'm not so confident about the the, uh, the Anzac. But it's a new one for me, but we'll see how John goes on it. Yeah. G'day, John. How are you doing? G'day, pal. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Of course, uh, you got $50 worth of uh, TAB uh, bonus bets could be yours, and also uh, some sleep drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, mate. Um, now, you're at the crease, Smithy's behind the stumps, and you have to make the choice, mate. Are you going to go uh, Anzac clashes from over the years? Are you going to go, and that can be any sport, can you going to go golf or are you going to go cricket? I reckon we should give it a crack at the Anzac just because it's new, eh? Why not? Why not? All right. I like I like I like the way you think, mate. I like the way you think. Let's <laughs> let's get into it. Whoa, the music started. You know it's serious. All right. Uh, John, here's the first question for you. Who was at the other end when Trevor Chapel bowled the underarm ball to Brian McKechnie? Oh yeah, gonna know that one for sure. Um, I should know that myself. Um Barry Troop. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. <laughs> Smithy, I know that oh. you will know this one because it was the it was the story that didn't get told, wasn't it? I mean, if you were, if you were this man, you would have felt robbed that that was the narrative of this game. Yeah, it was pretty rough on old Bootsy Edgar from Wellington, Bruce Edgar. So I'll, I'll give Bruce Edgar. I could not get Bruce Edgar, not get him because I, of course um, I went to school with him. Uh, I talked to him about three times during the course of that over, and he was my best man. If I didn't get that one, Ricardo, you could shoot me. <laughs> there you go. He, he was, I don't know if you, know if you know this, John, but he was 102 not out at the other end, so he'd carried his bat against I the do. Aussies. I was actually going to say for a second, and I thought somebody told me not to for some reason, but anyway, I should have known it, mate, and all good. All good. All right, mate. Here's question. Have a good week, boys. Um, yeah. and we've, we, so we're gonna. You've stumped one, Smithy. Should so, so we see if you can get yep. a hat trick? Yeah, like two. Yep. Let's, let's go for a hat trick today. Who's the next sucker? Uh, hey, Dave, on, get him on <laughs> Dave, you're tapping the bat nervously, mate. How are you feeling? Right, Smithy, he's the next suck. He's cheeky, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, boy. 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 Front up. See what you've got. All right. Here we go, Dave. Which which Wallaby kicked the winning penalty in the 2000 Bledisloe Test in Wellington to retain the trophy? What year, Ricardo? 2000. Who was the Wallaby John kicker? Yeah, well done, Dave. Well done. I thought that might that might stump a few, Smithy. Uh, John Eels just doesn't yeah. jump to mind as a goal kicker. Stood oh, behind that, that guy working on the I side. Think he must have yeah. been the last lock to ever kick, kick goals, wouldn't he? No, I would, I would say so. At that level, Dave, I think you're absolutely right. The guy with the best nickname in sport, his nickname was Nobody. John Hills, you know that? <laughs> nobody, Ricardo. nobody. Yeah, you know why? Nobody. No, no, nobody's perfect. Yeah, yeah that's right, go. mate. Exactly. What a player he was. All right, so we have uh, one stumping and uh, one has been scored. We have one question left, Dave. Win this, uh, get this, and you that uh, TAB voucher and those sleep drops are all yours. Between 2010 and 2019, the Kiwis played the Kangaroos 21 times. How many did the Kiwis win? Oh. Four. One of the worst things I have ever seen ah. done on a cricket field. Smithy, your opportunity to get two stumpings in a day. You got you got a great chance here, Dave, because I've got absolutely no idea of the exact number. Um, I'm going to say it's either five, six, or seven. Five, six, or seven. <laughs> So, hold up. No, no, hold up. But I've got to name one of those, Dave. Don't get carried away here. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'll give you. A, I'll give you a clue. One of them was a draw yep. at the stoop, twenty all. With Fooey okay. Fooey well, that... Okay. There you go. I'll oh, all right. Fooey Fooey Moy Moy. Rab Warren's favourite uh, rugby league name to pro- uh, pronounce. I think Rab Warren. Uh, I'm going to go seven. There you go. Seven. And good luck, Dave. If you get some hay, good luck to you. Cheers, mate. One of the worst things I have ever seen. (laughs) You misread the spin on that one, Smithy. Uh, The answer is five. Yeah, I did. Five times. So you were close. Okay. Okay. I was too optimistic. Too optimistic. So, uh, hey, 
a great a great catching up, Dave. Um, and I'll tell you what, you enjoy that fifty bucks with the bets from the TAB, and you enjoy your sleep drops. And I think you need a bit more of it. Good weekend. Good luck on the punt. Yeah, same to you, buddy. Cheers, Dave. Thanks very much. We'll get that $50 over to you. And the uh, sleep drops as well. Try New Zealand sleep drops for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Uh, it 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 was a bit of a tough one, Smithy. Yeah, no, I like the concept, though, and I like the category. Very, very good. So uh, Dave will stay on the line. Brian will get his details. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, Mick Guerin, Mr Harness Racing, will be with us. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.45, and it's time to, uh, as usual, on the Friday to catch up with uh, Harness Racing guru, uh, Mick Guerin, and it's wonderful to have friends on both sides of the Tasman, particularly those in, who work in the customs area and immigration. Uh, and a, a little birdie on both sides of the Tasman said, this fellow, Mick Guerin, has uh, made a fleeting trip uh, to Sydney uh, during the week and has managed to get back in one piece. Is that true or false, Mr Guerin? Well, good morning, Smithy. Good morning to the listeners. I am in one piece, but it's a slightly rounder and, shall we say, fatter piece than it was when I went to Sydney uh, about <laughs> eight days ago, Smithy, because, as you know, you don't often go overseas with, uh, with your mates and spend too much time eating salads and talking about the finer points of life. So, yes, fair to say I've come back, Smithy, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a bigger man than I used to be. <laughs> I've always known you to be a big man, you know, in terms of heart, Mick, in terms of heart. And, and the or, good news or, is you've come ego. back. Um, goes, yeah. <laughs> is, is that, uh, uh, oh, no. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> hey, hey, look, uh, you've, you're back in time for the most important thing uh, in harness racing this week, uh, which I think is the draw for the race coming up. It's on tomorrow night. It's on in Cambridge. So the race by Grint is the $900,000 slot race. Next Thursday night at Cambridge, if you're thinking, why Thursday? Well, it's Good Friday the next day, so you might have the day off work. So the barrier draws at Cambridge Raceway tomorrow night, Smithy. There'll be some of the connections there. And, of course, now we have the 10 final horses in the field. We have four Australians. It'll be an awfully, awfully long time since there's been any type of race in New Zealand with four Australians. In fact, it might have only happened five times in the history of New Zealand racing that you've had four Australians in the same race, which isn't an inter-dominion, you know, not a big series. Mm. So that's tomorrow night, and then that barrier draw will greatly affect the market. Now, the TAB market is headed by SENZ's self-assured, which a few of our listeners have got a little mini-share in for the night. But Smithy, if he draws well, he'll be a dominant favourite for the race. If he draws poorly... Mm things change. So that barrier draw live streamed tomorrow night at 7.30. SENZ will have the Twitter all fired up as well and we'll try and keep people up to date and then the market will be available on tab.co.nz. I would suggest around about 8.30, 9 o'clock. Wow, cool. Absolutely. So all hinging on the, not so much all, but plenty hinging on that draw so you'll be able to follow that, folks. Uh, And between now and then, of course, there is harness racing to uh, consider um, at uh, North Island and South Island headquarters uh, this evening, Mike. Mate, 
Addington's the big dance tonight for the cracking race race five. It's the big boys. Sunday Sun versus Bolt for Brilliance versus Oscar Bonavina versus Muscle Mountain. Now, that's as good a trotting race as we've had in this country since November when Sunday Sun won the Dominion. The big three, Sunday Sun, Bolt for Brilliance, Muscle Mountain, don't race together very often. In fact, it's probably only happened about once or twice ever that they've all been in the same race. So they're in a $100,000 Group 1 tonight. If Sunday Sun leads from Barrier 1, so we know how that story ends. We know how that works. But if Bolt for Brilliance can cross them at the start or Muscle Mountain, the dynamic of the race changes enormously. So really crucial to start to race five. It's nice and early, just eight minutes after seven, for those who want to order a bit of footy tonight. And I think Sunday Sun will probably still win, Smithy. But both Bolt for Brilliance and Muscle Mountain have been able to beat him when they've been able to get in front of him. So they'll be aggressive early. It'll be a lot of fun watching that race five. And then race six is the Superstars Championship and one of the contestants for the race next week, Pembroke Playboy, is in there. But he's going to have to come from back in the field. They'll go very hard there early too. So nice and early races five and six. The big dancers out of Addington tonight, Alexandra Park, also race. They have an eight-race card, and it's sort of the support card for the night. Okay, Mick, uh, what about the weekend for you? What, is it, uh, what does it hold ahead? Uh, I mean, there's massive racing, uh, and gallop racing, of course, coming in from across the Tasman too, but harness racing uh, to talk about. What, what do your shows incorporate? Well, mate, tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, myself and Louis Herman Watt, who is the host of the Mail Run, we're going to talk about Rickerton, talk to Terry Mosley, one of the local boys who's ridden nearly 1,200 winners, talk about Rickerton's big day. There's also racing at Mutarua, but the big dancers across the Tasman, if in fact it goes ahead, Smithy. Now, it's a heavy 10 at Randwick, and I left there yesterday, there was 156 mils of rain in 24 hours. Even as a West Coast boy, that felt like a lot. I would suggest they make their final decision tomorrow morning. We will have that live on the mail run. Does Randwick go ahead? Does Very Elegant get a chance? Does the chosen one get their ch- get his chance? All that will be live on the mail run. We'll tell you what's happening with that. And if it does go ahead, try and find you a winner. And then the barrier draw for the race by Grins tomorrow night at 12 o'clock. So noon on Sunday, Greg O'Connor and I on Trot's Talk with all the reaction. We're going to talk to the people who train and drive the horses and find out what they make of their barrier draws, the first hot takes on that. So 8 a.m. tomorrow morning for the mail run with that crucial decision. Does Sydney Cup QE2 day go ahead? 12 o'clock on Sunday, Smithy. We'll be back to talk about New Zealand's first ever slot race on Trot's Talk at noon. Uh, amazing. Mick, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, glad that you're back safely from uh, that horrible Sydney, and we'll catch up with you in, in due course. Look forward to that draw tomorrow night. Thank you, sir. Oh, I actually bumped into a friend of yours, Smithy, at the sales, and he said, if you see Smithy, will you tell him I said hello? Mark Moore wanted to be remembered wow. to you. I saw him at the sales for a chat, and I was talking away. I said, I'm working for ECNZ. He said, is that the one Smithy works for? I said, well, that's one of the things Smithy's worked for, Mark. And he said, say <laughs> hello to Smithy for me. I have passed on his best wishes. Good man, Junior. A very, very good man. The best of them, uh, I shall say. Uh, hey, Mick, thank you very much for that. I uh, appreciate pleasure, those uh, sentiments. Great weekend. Have a great weekend. Uh, Mick Guerin there with us, folks. I can tell you uh, from the Masters, 
Uh, Sunjay M looks like he's going to have the overnight lead. He's five under. Uh, he shot 67. He's one shot ahead of Cameron Smith. Um, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler, Danny Willett at three under, uh, and a host of other players uh, around as well. So no one breaking away from the field, but an intriguing first day, including, of course, Tiger Woods shooting one under um, to confound a lot of people's theories, <coughs> including mine, but certainly not his own or those genuine believers. Uh, speaking, speaking of believers, uh, we're going to speak to a bloke who believes in Manawatu rugby, seriously believes in Manawatu rugby. Next, Mark Stafford, who has rodent problems, I think it's fair to say, rodent problems. We'll get to the bottom of that very shortly. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.